This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 3, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. The intrigue intensifies for the wenches of Port Royal. Volume 3 of 5. 1690 Port Royal starts with a bang and a new change in government. Dr. Strangeways witnesses pirating and pillaging aboard Captain Kidd's ship, Blessed William, which leads to a drug-fueled night at the White Rabbit Inn, while Capitan La Roche is heartbroken by the loss of his comrade and his true love, Atia. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 3. Gambit Cayman Brack Island sat nestled within a blanket of sea mist, while the stars above faded. A pre-dawn glow silhouetted the spiky leaves and clusters of thick brush that surrounded the Blarney Stone Inn and Tavern. The horses in the stable were resting, and the structure of stone and wood kept out the Cayman alligators. The light of a candle faintly glowed in one of the guest rooms. Theodore Bing knew the sound of a pistol when it fired. He froze on the spot, avoiding the creaky floorboard. The commotion came from downstairs, near the tavern keeper's chambers. Bartolomeo Portuguese is dead, Bing thought. Thereafter came the quick, guttural cry of the barmaid, and then silence. Bing slid on a black velvet vest that concealed small, sharp knives within the lining. He loaded a shot into both his pistols and secured them in a belt. The door to his stepdaughter's bedroom opened, and Gertrude emerged. What's happening? That was a pistol, wasn't it? You couldn't be more right. Bing glanced out the window to see pirates infiltrating the small village. Get dressed fast and wake Henrietta. She'd sleep through a tempest. Who could it be? Gertrude asked. It sure as hell ain't Father Christmas. You two go out the back and get Penombre ready. Gertrude slipped back to her room. Henrietta, wake up. We must go. A faint tapping came from the window. Bing aimed his pistol, and Snapper raised his arms. Bing opened the window. Bart's dead, Snapper said. There's pirates coming this way. Gertrude and Henrietta materialized, bags in hand. Bing had schooled them well in being prepared for when hell broke loose. I'd love to stay and help, Bing waved his stepdaughters to the window. But I have a terrible aversion to conflict. I'll hold them off while you get the women out, Snapper volunteered. 
I'm glad we see eye to eye. Henrietta climbed out. Who's attacking? Does it matter? Bing helped Gertrude out onto a rickety balcony. Snapper climbed inside with his pistols pointed at the door. Bing guided the women to a ladder, which they climbed down, pausing in the shadows. He peered around the corner of the inn, where a pirate guarded the tavern entrance. Keeping to the darkness, they darted to the stable, where they crawled through a loose panel at the back to arrive in one of the horse stalls. Bing halted at the sight of a pirate lighting a pipe beside his horse, Penombre, at the furthest stall. Bing aimed the pistol. A shot pierced the pirate in the back of the head, and he dropped to the ground. Let's move. Bing lunged for Penombre, who was already hitched with leather straps. After securing the cart, Gertrude and Henrietta leapt onto the driver's bench while Bing opened the stable door. Drive it like you stole it, Gertie. Bing jumped on, his weapons ready. The horse took off, skimming by the group of pirates who'd been alerted to their escape. Bing knew the ginger-haired cutthroat as Bleeding Art's first mate. Shots were fired at the wagon, and the pirates gave chase. Perspiration trickling down his dark brow, Bing fired back, having Henrietta reload as they went. Head for the North Road, Bing advised. Where will we go? Henrietta asked. I'll tell you when we get there. One of the pirates aimed a musket, and a loud blast came, followed by smoke and a scream from Gertrude. Bing turned just in time to catch Henrietta before she fell backwards. Bloody holes appeared on her back and front. Reflexively, Bing took aim and fired a shot into the shoulder of the ginger cutthroat. Gertrude wailed as they trundled down a bumpy path towards the road. Bing grabbed the reins and they traded positions. Gertrude cradled her sister's body. No, don't go. Go, Benombre, go! Bing drove the cart faster. The morning sun dazzled the lagoon's surface, while Cayman alligators basked before breakfast. Wind whispered in the trees, sending a shiver up Bing's spine. Three months had been too long to linger on Cayman Brack. They had fled Port Royal after he assisted Dr. Strangeways in poisoning local slavers and liberating slaves. Bing had crossed the wrong people and, most importantly, had made the critical error of underestimating the pirate bleeding art. And now Henrietta had paid the price with her life. They were from Port Royal, weren't they? Gertrude asked eventually, draping a blanket over her sister. Bleeding art's men, Bing said. I'm so sorry, Gertie. You had to get involved, she sniffed hard. Where will we go? I know where there's a boat. I'll take us to the gardens of the Queen. To live with pirates? No. To be as far away from Port Royal as possible. 
Gertrude stroked her sister's golden hair. Not soon enough. Bing drove in silence, leading them off-road along a hidden lane within the bushes. Art's men undoubtedly were not far behind. As they meandered through the trees, the sea came into view, as did a fisherman's wharf, several bungalows, and a small sloop. Bing waved to the handful of fishermen who had kept an eye on his vessel. Gertrude looked up. You have a ship? That gambit shall get us where we need to go. Bing pulled up next to the wharf. Let's get Henrietta aboard. Together they lifted her aboard before returning for their bags. What about Penumbre? Gertrude wondered. We can't leave him here. I got a stall on board. Bing released the cart. I ain't going nowhere without him. When Bing untied the ship, he pushed off using an oar. Once the sails were unfurled, the wind took them. It would only be a day's journey to a place called Jardines de la Reina, a chain of islands within the southern part of Cuba. It was a pirate hideout belonging to Lawrence de Graff. There, he and Gertrude would be safe within the maze of shallow keys and jagged rocks. Councilman John White slipped the heavy white wig off his head and rubbed his stubble. Half of the king's house lay in ruin beneath his feet. He'd seen it all before, especially when the Spanish used to attack on a regular basis. Only this time, their acting lieutenant governor and his staff had been blown to fragments. During New Year's celebrations, no less. He stood outside, surveying the damage in the early morning light. The entire wing must be torn down and a new foundation laid, the carpenter said. White shrugged. Board it up. We haven't the funds to fix it. This is the king's house, the city engineer Bill Chitty argued. It should be fixed. You'll just have to come up with the funds, Captain White. Oh, I'm Captain White again, am I, Mr. Chitty? White's eyes narrowed. Commodore Chuck Talbot arrived, flicking his long hair back. Reporting, sir. Right in the nick of time, Chuck. Something wrong with your hair? White asked. Is it true the city is under martial law? Until the situation is under control, yes. Where is the acting lieutenant governor? Good question, Chuck. White checked the bottom of his shoes. Why don't you have a look around for him? A city guard arrived. Sir, we found the gold tip of a walking stick on the beach at the far side of town. It might have washed in. Chitty said. The guard shook his head. Nay, it was smouldering and embedded in the body of a drunkard. That does sound like Piper's walking stick, White agreed. Well, never mind. I have dozens of damage reports to make. He flipped through his paperwork. 
There was still wreckage from a smashed gloss carriage in front of the forged tavern, and at least a dozen shops had their windows smashed. Behind them a carriage slid to a stop, and Widow Bell pulled up with busy gale. Whoa, there! You drive like the boy you do, White said. Have you seen Jamie? Widow Bell asked breathlessly. My children! Busy leapt down. Where are they? White pointed. The infirmary at Fort Carlisle. Busy ran off. Widabelle secured her horse. Are they alive? Aye. The girl was definitely poisoned, though. McCaskill gave her charcoal to soak it out. She'll live. The boy saved her life. He brought her over to my place on a wagon. Do I look like a doctor? Ran over my hedges and scared the shit out of my cat. See the cuts on my face? I look like a medical diagram. Thank you, Captain White. Widow Bell headed to Fort Carlisle. Well, I have to do everything, White remarked. Secure the harbor, Commodore Talbot. Talbot saluted. Aye, sir. He raced down the street to the gangway, where he called out to his lieutenant. Ready to make sail, Packer. White gave an imitative salute. Sweet bouncing bobbies. We better check it out, Packer, old boy. Busy Gale's heart pounded, and her hands practically trembled as she entered the infirmary. The dark shadows beneath her eyes revealed she'd been up all night. After discovering a half-eaten plantain laced with belladonna and her two children missing, she had gone on a frantic search through the city. With Widow Bell's assistance, they started at the Swiftshire Tavern, where her daughter, Isabella, was last seen. A neighbor of Councilman White's said they had seen the girl being transported on a wagon towards the church, where people gathered for safety. After checking the entire building, they were directed to Fort Charles, where the wounded were being treated, until finally their wild goose chase continued to Fort Carlisle. Busy stumbled along a lengthy corridor. Isabella! Nurses tended the wounded, and Dr. McCaskill noticed her presence. Busy checked behind a curtain. Isabella! That one ain't yours, McCaskill said. Yours as in there. Busy rushed to an adjoining room. You're welcome, McCaskill said. In the recovery room, Jamie sprang up from a corner cot to greet her. Mama! Busy hugged her son, tears escaping her eyes. Captain White's wife, Betty, sat with Isabella, patting her forehead with a damp cloth. She's through the worst. Now she needs fluids and rest. Busy collapsed beside her daughter. Oh, my girl! Mama! Isabella coughed. Widow Bell arrived. Thank heavens! McCaskill checked in on them. It was Cherry Banks, Widow Bell told him. Then talk to Captain Valentine. My hands are full today. Best do it quick. The girl almost didn't make it. 
There are two more dead people from poisoning, a nurse said behind him. Mrs. Beasley needs more activated charcoal. They say the red-haired pikey died of poison on her doorstep. Artia. Artia, her name was, Widow Bell said. Take the girl home, and I need someone to take this to old Lady Beasley right away. McCaskill grabbed another tin of charcoal from a cabinet. My carriage is outside. I'll take it straight over, Widow Bell volunteered. Busy helped Isabella to her feet, and they went outside to the carriage. Hang on, baby. Isabella looked pale. I'll be well, Mama. It's okay. Once aboard, Widow Bell gathered the reins and took out a piece of parchment. I have to fill a grocery order for Mrs. Beasley. I'll drop you at home first. Busy skimmed the grocery list. Scurvy gross? Probably an ingredient for one of Strangeway's concoctions. I don't ask. I'm not a doctor. Busy's past with Cherry Banks had caught up with her. She had witnessed Cherry giving up information on the Capitan to Governor Lynch back in 1682. Busy went to Henry Morgan with the details, but he was permanently drunk by that time. He no longer cared about his captains and tended to blab in public. Thus, Cherry found out and made an attempt on Busy's life. She always knew their conflict would come to a head. But this crossed a line that Cherry would never understand. Councilman White arrived at a busy wherry bridge, where he spotted Justice Goblet dangling his short legs, trying to climb down from a carriage. Behind him, a sign proclaimed, Welcome to Port Royal, population. A sign over the numbers read, Varies. Wanting to see Goblet suffer a bit, White waited until the judge took the plunge before heading over to meet him. Mr. White, Goblet began, Chief Justice, you picked a fine time for a holiday. The city was again attacked by pirates. White yawned. Oh, is that what all the fuss is about? Which bodies have been identified? Edmund Cogshall and the mayor were most definitely murdered. I declared martial law until the city is secured. Any witnesses? Livia Crisp is either a victim or a participant. My men will find her, even if it means going door to door, Goblet assured him. There is little hope of finding Piper and Mould alive, White speculated. The defense of the city is of the utmost importance. Precisely. We must arrange for a new acting lieutenant governor as quickly as possible. I thought you might have had one stuffed under your wig, but not to worry, Chief Justice. We had one in Ligania the whole time, probably waiting for this precise moment. The crowd began cheering, and White turned to see the wary boat approach. Officious-looking men in finery waved to the crowd. Surely you don't mean... Goblet's lip began quivering as the boat skimmed into the harbor. 
Carlifer streamers hung from the rat lines, while Acting Lieutenant Governor Dorcas Dewar and Lord Lawrence Llewellyn stood at the bow, waving. My nursemaid duties just increased, White said. Indeed, Goblet agreed. If you'll excuse me, Councilman White, I have an immediate meeting at the governor's mansion to attend. After enduring a long and difficult exile across the harbor in Ligania, and praying to whatever god was fashionable at the time, Acting Lieutenant Governor Dorcas Dewar waved triumphantly. Yes, you're all very lucky I was here to step in and take the job of Lieutenant Governor. Having endured a household of only seventeen rooms and two dozen servants, he eagerly awaited his return to the Governor's mansion. For the good of the city, of course, Llewellyn saluted the people. Of course, Larry. First and foremost is the economy. I shall reopen the slave auction. Dewar gestured to Sleemans, who rolled out a piece of red carpet down the gangway. The crowd cheered, bedazzled by a gold carriage that was parked across the intersection. Ah, our ride, Dewar said, guiding his entourage. Splendid, Llewellyn clapped. It must be real gold. The horses are exhausted. Ah, Mr. White, do join us. Dewa waved him over. Take me to the governor's mansion, he ordered the driver before addressing the crowd. Dominium over Port Royal. Good one, Llewellyn sat across from Dewa. That's not how that word works, sir, Sleeman's brow creased. Please, don't improvise. I thought it was clever, Dewa pouted. Me too, Llewellyn agreed. White remained silent, and the carriage drove off. Sleemans waved out the window. What are you waving for? Dewar asked. Sorry, I was caught up in the moment. When they arrived, workers were bustling about the grounds. Dewar's eyes bulged to see the statue of him, posing like Michelangelo's David, lying in large marble chunks across the lawn. Flags on poles portraying images of King William fluttered in the warm sea breeze. And to top it all off, accent murals of men wearing long, illustrious wigs had been erected throughout the garden. As you can see, the wigs were having it remodeled, Sleeman said. Looks like the Grand Wig Hotel, Dewar cringed. Put it all back the way it was, starting with my beautiful statue. Do you know how many weeks I had to pose naked for it? Sorry, but I don't remember exactly how it was, a workman replied. Well, it's your neck then, isn't it? Dewar sauntered inside towards the study. And I want all my garden party flags put back up. Oh, and a restructuring of government must be done right away. Llewellyn nodded. I'm to be appointed Chief Justice, and Siemens here gets to be Sheriff. Sleemans gritted his teeth. 
Sheriff Nair. I'm not up for that. Perhaps another title? Remember, he's afraid to be Sheriff of Port Royal. He thinks they will all die too quickly. He's to be appointed to Mayor. Mayor Siemens, Llewellyn said. Slemans, Slemans corrected. Or you could be Sheriff? No, Mayor Siemens is splendid. I'll be a great mayor. Dewar slapped White on the back. Now, Captain White, let's take charge of our beautiful city. Inform all levels of government I have been reinstated. Dismissed. White folded his arms. You brought me all the way here to tell me that? Well, it's official now, isn't it? Dismissed. Aye, sir. White gave a long-suffering sigh and departed. Dewar shook his head. What happened while I was away? They all need a map to find their own codpieces. Sleemans rubbed his hands together. Ah, it's as good as done. I shall be mayor of the city. As long as you do what you're told. Dewar affirmed and checked his pocket watch, wondering where Goblet was. Of course, there's only one way to beat corruption. With more corruption. He already sounds like a mare, Dewar said to Llewellyn, then called out, Bring in the short wig that looks like a bulldog. Goblet was shown inside. Ah, here's little Giblet. You called for me? Yes, my fat little wig, Dewar grinned. Your rule here is at an end. Seems your superiors are destined to be declared past tenths. With a few bits past the Palisadoe's gate in past twelfths and fifteenths, too, Llewellyn added. I believe you mean past tenths, Goblet corrected. Oh, I bet, Dewar folded his arms. You must be quaking in your size six buckle shoes. But the question is, what to do with you now? We could have him drawn and courted, Llewellyn suggested. That was popular with royalists. King William will send a replacement government. You must know that, Goblet replied. I, however, wish you no harm, and merely want to serve justice in Port Royal. Dewar grinned. Then I'm making you, Sheriff. Goblet's bottom lip began to quiver. Sheriff? Yes, Sheriff. Is that so scary? You'll report to his lordship, Larry Llewellyn, the Chief Justice. Llewellyn extended his arm. Larry Justice over Port Royal. Dewar clapped. Oh, good one. Goblet's ears flared red. You're replacing me with him? With him? Llewellyn frowned. That's no way to talk to your superior. Me? Work for you? You know nothing of the law. I do, too. What goes up must come down. That's the law of gravity, you moron. It's still a law. Isn't it? Llewellyn looked to Sleemans for confirmation. Besides, someone must sit in court all day having peasants hung. 
I'm far too busy to be wasting my time in court. Oh, yes, court is such a waste of time for a judge. Exactly. A chief justice should preside over big cases, like hanging previous judges, not dawdling over which plebes to cull. Do opposed triumphantly. True gentlemen are in charge now. Gentlemen of valour and knowledge who shall reign supreme. Hear, hear, Llewellyn clapped. Gentlemen, by the name of Dorcas? Gobbett scoffed. You know, of course, being so knowledgeable, that Dorcas is a girl's name. Dua wrinkled his nose irritably. The doctor was holding me the wrong way, and Mummy had astigmatism. Ah, yes, Fred, Llewellyn chuckled. Poor old bird was blind as a bat. God bless her. Aye, Fred, God rest her soul. Do aside. Speaking of souls, I'll need your answer before you leave the room. Goblet's shoulders sagged. Then I accept the post. Sleemans opened the door, ready to hand over the hat and badge. Congratulations, Sheriff Goblet. Goblet snatched the sheriff's accoutrements. Good day to you. Sleemans closed the door. He's right about the replacement government. King William will send one. Then find out who, what, and when, and make sure they sink before they get here. Do I huffed? Do I have to think of everything? Llewellyn shook his head. And you call yourself mayor. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter, Winch's Volume 3. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.